0: So why don't we bow our heads right now and let's just take some time to pray and ask that God's Holy Spirit would be here, that God would grant to us the present blessing and that we'd all walk away changed having been in His presence. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for grace, God, that we can come to Your throne right now just as we are, Lord, to find help, to find grace in times of need. Lord, You've called us here to worship, and God, to receive the message from heaven. And Father, we know that there are many things that are on our hearts and minds, bills, houses, people, situations, circumstances, Lord. But Father, right now, we just want to pray and ask for the present blessing. God, we ask that you would open up heaven's gates and that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon this congregation ...God, we want you to give us a message this morning. The things we need to understand. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh... You know, I'm uh, somebody who likes playing basketball... ...but I'm not somebody who actually likes to watch basketball. My mom, on the other hand, she loves to watch basketball... Uh, She's just a a little Indian lady. She's about 61 years old, and her favorite team is the LA Lakers. And uh, if you ever want to see an Indian lady curse up a storm, just put a a game of the Lakers playing and them losing, and you will see a little Indian attempt to cuss in the English language. And uh, it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I never grew up actually watching sports. I used to play out in the streets or in the field and stuff, But um, there was something I actually like to watch and that was the Olympics. Anybody watch the Olympics? Most of us have watched the Olympics. Now I don't actually like watching all of the Olympics. My favorite part of, of the Olympics is the very end. I'm talking about the part in slow motion when that runner is going right through that finish line. That is my favorite part. I don't want to see the rest of the race. I don't like watching the swimming, I just like the very end, when they're, when they're going to that final lap. NASCAR racing, people like watching NASCAR racing. I don't understand why watching cars go 250 laps around, you know, it's the very end that matters, right? And uh, probably most of the women will agree on this too as well, and some of the men. Um, but here's the thing. My favorite thing about watching sports is the very end. That's when it all matters. That's when the intensity is there. That's when the the sweat is coming down your face. That's when you're just on the edge of your seat and you're watching just to see what's going to happen. Because the unexpected happens at the very end. You can imagine somebody, for example, the Olympics. Let's talk about somebody who's running, right? And uh, you see as, like, it goes into slow motion. You may, perhaps you missed the actual event when it took place, but you're watching the slow motion replay, and you're seeing somebody running. And you're seeing them run with just efficiency. Every part of their body is moving in sync. And their body, their muscle is throbbing. You can just see it, the veins that are popping. You can see the sweat that is coming off people's heads as they're racing towards that finish line. You can see people in the background as they're trying to catch up, and that one winner is making his way towards the very finish line. Well, you know what the favorite thing about that is? Is when you're looking and you see the people in the audience, or in the the stadium, and you're seeing there, you see a guy with like a hot dog, and you see a guy with a hat, and somebody holding up their child, and just people holding food, and all of a sudden you see them slowly going up. The hot dog guy's mouth, the hot dog's coming out of his hand as he's raising up. The guy with the hat, his hat's falling over in his face, and people are standing up. There's a a man with his little daughter who's in front of his little daughter, and you see them slowly rising up as the runner is making his way right towards the finish line, and as he is getting right through that ribbon, and the ribbon is stretching, and finally it just snaps. You see people's expression right in the, in the stadium, and their faces are just like. You watch that. Those are golden moments, right? We love victory. Can you say amen to that? In fact, this is the reason why I think people watch sports, is because we like victory. God created us to be a people of victory. Can you say amen to that? And we need to experience more than just victory in sports, but victory in our own lives. Can you say amen to that? And what we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at the life of somebody who began to experience uninterrupted victory. Not just victory and then stumbling and then coming back a year later, but somebody who had victory after victory after victory after victory. And you're going to see that in their life, it started off with a defeat. Take your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and this is Jesus at the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22, and he's with his disciples, and you can imagine this is the the last few hours he's having with his disciples, so he wants to communicate things that are extremely important for his disciples to understand. Watch what Luke chapter 22, verse 21 says. Are we all there? All right. Luke 22, starting with verse 21. But behold, the hand of my what? Betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Now let me ask you a question. Who was Jesus talking about? Are you sure? Now let me ask you a good question. How many people betrayed Jesus that day? A lot of people betrayed Jesus that day. Jesus was specifically talking about Judas, but guess what? His own disciples were going to betray him shortly. In fact, go to verse 31. You're going to see Jesus actually address Peter right here. Verse 31. Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon... You notice in the Bible, whenever God is mentioning the name twice, he's placing an emphasis upon that person. Listen, I am speaking to you is what he is saying. So he says, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may what? Sift you as what? Wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Notice what Jesus is saying right here. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I did a little bit study about the word sifting and what it actually occurs, what it actually means, it's not talking about the very um, beginning of planting crops. It's actually referring to the very end after the harvest has already been plucked. And sifting is basically separating the wheat from the debris. This is the very end of the harvest. And notice what Jesus is saying. He is saying to Peter, Satan, he wants you. He's asked that he may sift you as wheat. There's already been a process in your life, Peter, and you don't even realize it. Now the devil wants to come in with his final ambush on you. And then he says to him, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you are, what's that word? When you are converted or when you are strengthened or when you have returned, strengthen your what? Brethren. Imagine this. Three and a half years Peter had not been called, he was not called converted. But Jesus says to him, look, when you are finally, when you are finally converted, then you will do the ministry that you've been wanting to do. Three and a half years. But Jesus says something that's very important to him. He says, look, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He's been working in your life. It's been gradual. You don't even realize it, Peter. And now he's come to his his final attack upon you, Peter. Right here. He's right at the very end. And he wants to sift you. And watch what Simon says next. It's very interesting. But he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to what? Prison and to what? You see Peter's spiritual pride right here come out. He says, no way, Lord, I'm going to follow you to the very end. I'm going to go to death for you. Now watch what Jesus says. Verse 34, then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Three times, he says, you're going to end up denying me. Three times. And so you can imagine Peter thinking to himself, yeah, right. There is no way that this is going to happen to me. Now you know the rest of the story. You know what happens when Jesus is betrayed and he's taken away by that mob? The Bible actually records Peter following at a safe distance. Peter's there and he's watching, trying to glance at the Lord, making sure that people aren't watching him to see if he's he's one of the disciples of Christ. He ends up near the spot where Jesus is being taken away. And the Bible actually records the conversation he has at that fire. Take your Bible, go to Luke chapter 22, verse 54. 22 verse 54. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Now watch this. Having arrested him, they led him, talking about Jesus, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a what? At a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I don't know him. I don't know this Jesus. You must be mistaking me for somebody else. I don't know him. Now watch the next denial. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You, are, you also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. He's getting angry in his denial. He wants people to know that he has nothing to do with Jesus. Watch the next thing. Then, after an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. In fact, in the other gospel, it says, He began to curse to make sure that people uh, thought, Wait a minute, he can't be associated with Jesus because look what's coming out of his mouth. And so he begins to curse up a storm and he says, No, I don't know him. You're wrong. In his denial of Christ, it's getting stronger and stronger. He's blinded by the emotion of that moment. Fear. And the Bible says at that moment, all of a sudden, the rooster what? Crowed. Thrice. And Peter realized. Uh Uh-oh. But it's very interesting. I want you to see what the Bible says next. Verse 61, and the Lord turned, and what's that next word? Looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me what? Three times. You can imagine that very moment as Peter finally says, I don't know this man. All of a sudden he hears the rooster crow and he turns, and he sees Jesus being led away from one house into another, and Jesus turns his head and looks directly at Peter. Ellen White actually goes a little bit further. She says that as they took Jesus away and he looked right at Peter, Peter realized what he had done, and then he saw a sacrilegious hand raise and smack the head of Jesus at that moment. You can imagine all of a sudden, Peter's heart just dropped. But look what the Bible says next. Verse 62. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now you said and now in the very beginning of the sermon that this was supposed to be a victory that was supposed to come from this defeat. Folks, I want you to understand something. There was a defeat, and it was in Peter's life, but there was also a victory. Do you know what the victory was? This was the beginning of Peter's transformation. Peter's transformation. When he had finally been brought down to this point, This was the very beginning of uninterrupted victory that would come in Peter's life. In fact, go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and you're going to see this all come together. Luke 22, verse 31. Watch what the Bible says again. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And sure enough, it happened. That was the defeat. But watch the victory. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not, what's that next word? Fail. But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Folks, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus's prayer answered at this very moment? Yes or no? Did Jesus's prayer get answered? Absolutely, you wanna know how? Because Sunday morning there was a Judas hanging from a tree and not a Peter. There was a Judas hanging on a tree but not Peter. Folks, I want you to understand. Jesus had prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. Not that circumstances would change. Peter failed in that. Peter's heart was like a certain composition. When put into various environments, it changes. God knew what was the the elements in his heart. And he was trying to warn Peter over and over again. Peter, you don't realize what's wrong with your heart. And God was attempting to do surgery on him. But Peter said, no, 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 no. You're wrong. Something's wrong with everybody else, but nothing's wrong with me. You know, it's very interesting. Right now, I have a, uh, a toothache, and I'll tell you why. Because I had a, a root canal, a partial root canal done yesterday. And the medicine wore off pretty quickly. And right now, I'm really feeling this, the, sort of the, the throbbing of my, the left side of my mouth. But that's okay, because the Lord is speaking, not an L. Amen. His word is what's speaking to us. But it's very interesting because it's, I was sitting there at the dentist's office and I was thinking to myself, boy, it is very difficult witnessing to a dentist because when, as soon as you open your mouth, his hand's in your mouth. And so I was sitting there and I was just thinking, and I was like, okay, don't think about the pain. And I could, all of a sudden I can hear the, the suction. They put it in my mouth and they just hung it on the side of my mouth. And then I started hearing the zzz, And I just started thinking Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And I was just singing and singing. And I opened one eye, and I could see the dentist right there as he was putting the drill in my mouth and all these things. And I was like, I'm going to keep singing. I'm going to keep singing. And it was very interesting. For about 45 minutes, they worked on my mouth. And he was like, You know, all these things, right? Now, here's the thing. I couldn't tell what they were doing. I mean, I knew what they were doing, but I couldn't see what they were actually doing. All I could hear was the noise. I could see the dentist and his assistant, and they were just standing over my face, getting into my mouth. You know, God is doing a surgery on our hearts, and sometimes we don't see what he's actually doing, but we know he's doing something. He sees the problem, and he's trying to deal with the problem. Do you know life? Life in this world, God has you in a hospital to repair your heart that's been broken by sin. See, God is not just interested alone in just healing your maladies, healing your pain, making sure that your finances are covered. He's dealing with a bigger issue, that is your heart, and he's doing surgery on your heart, and it's hard to see what he's doing and understand what's going on, but he's working on your heart, folks. Folks. And as he was trying to deal with Peter's heart, Peter did not understand. He was thinking, no, no, no. Something's wrong with everybody else, but nothing's wrong with me. And God was trying to communicate to him, look, something is wrong with you, Peter. Something is very wrong with you. You know what Ellen White says about spiritual pride? She says, it is the most incurable sin. The most incurable sin you know we can exercise pride even in the attempted forgiveness of people? Forgive them once, right? And you say, well, I just want to forgive them. What if they continue to do their, that particular offense against you several times? Would you still forgive them? We'll see how much uh, forgiveness you have in your heart, right? Here's the thing, folks. God is dealing with a very big issue, and we need to let him deal with this issue. We need to understand The issues that are at stake. Ellen White says the devil wants to divert our minds from the salvational truth that God is trying to communicate to us, the most important truths. And we're going to see something very interesting, folks, and it's this take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-five. Hebrews chapter seven verse twenty-five. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Watch what the Bible says right here. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make what? Intercession for who? For them. Who's them? That's us. That's you. Folks, do you realize what the Bible is saying here? Exactly what Jesus told Peter. Peter is exactly what Paul is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus has prayed for Peter, that his faith would not fail, the Bible is teaching us that God, that Jesus himself, is praying for you right now. Can you say amen to that? And folks, circumstances may not always work out. Situations may not come out of the way we want them. Our dreams fail. But the great thing is, Jesus is praying for you. Can you say amen to that? And he's interceding for you right now in heaven. And guess what? If you were the only person, Jesus would be praying for you. He hasn't forgot about you. Can you say amen to that? He knows your name. He knows everything about your life. And right now, you have the greatest prayer warrior in heaven interceding for you. Can you say amen to that? And praise God. It's Jesus. What better prayer warrior can you think of? Forget Janet Page, this is Jesus, amen? No, I love Janet, that's why I can say that. He's praying for us. The Bible teaches us we can come to him, and we can come to his throne because he takes our prayers, and he he puts his blood over those prayers, and he presents it to the Father. You know, I preached at camp meeting uh, 6.30 early in the morning, and I talked about the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody know what's in the Ark of the Covenant? What's the three things are in the Ark of the Covenant? Someone please tell me. Ten Commandments, amen. What else? Aaron's rod, that buddy. What else? The pot of manna. Do you know why all three of those pieces of furniture were put inside the ark? Let me just tell you. The, the pot of manna was put there as a testimony against God's people because they rebelled against His provision. You know why the, the rod was put in there? As a testimony. Against God's people, because they rebelled against God's leadership. Do you want to know why the Ten Commandments were put there? It wasn't the original Ten Commandments. The original Ten Commandments were broken because of the sin of the people. It was put there as a a testimony against the the people of God in their rebellion against God's instruction. Folks, I want you to understand something. How many times have you rebelled against God's instruction, God's provision, and God's leadership? Raise your hand. Folks, you should all be raising your hand. And guess what, though? This is the most beautiful thing about the ark. Is that there is a slab of gold right over it, and the Bible calls that the mercy seat. Can you say amen to that? Our very rebellion is put there as a testimony, but God's mercy seat is is put right over it. And the Bible actually teaches in Exodus 25 that God says, above the mercy seat is where I will meet you. Where grace is, is where I will meet you. Can you say amen to that? And folks, we need to understand more about God's grace like never before. I am completely sold out on this idea that we need to understand salvation. We need to grasp it like never before. Sister White says that it is the devil's plan to make sure that these precious truths, talking about righteousness by faith, repentance, faith, salvation, that these truths are lost. That they're completely buried, and the people of God will have no more access to them because they don't understand what's going on. And instead of thriving, we're always, stri- we're always trying to survive. Instead of, instead of just uh, thriving, we're always just surviving and trying to hang on in our spiritual walk. We're never growing and reaching that victory that God would have us to reach. Folks, we need to understand God's grace like never before. And here's the thing. There's more to God's grace than merely confession. There's more to God's grace than merely confession. Confession is important. Amen? But folks, we need to understand something. Righteousness does not come by confession alone. You know, I was driving by a Catholic church. And may the Lord save every Catholic that's in there. But I was watching. I looked at the sign and it said this. Confession times. Mondays. And Wednesdays, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I was thinking to myself, what about Saturday? (laughs) What about Sunday? (laughs) What about all the other days? But you know what's even worse than that? Seventh-day Adventist Catholics. We have a lot of Catholics here, did you know that? The way we understand God's grace and his mercy, it's no different. We need to understand what the scriptures and what the spirit of prophecy is telling us like never before. And I I believe God is really leading in understanding like this and into this. You know, you can take the Seventh-day Adventists out of Babylon, but guess what? It's hard to take the Babylon out of Seventh-day Adventists. And it's going to require study of the scriptures and the preaching of God's word like never before. We need to understand God's saving truths. Now, going to this understanding is what I want to hone in on. When it comes to God's grace, We need to understand there's more to God's grace than mere confession, right? We need to understand repentance. Repentance. You know, confession, we're really good at it. We're really good at saying sorry. Folks, we've gotten so good in our confession with God, every night we go to God and we say, Lord, please forgive me for these things. I'm sorry that I did it. Ellen White even says that we add apologies and excuses when our confession is not genuine. And every night we give God the list and we say, Dear Jesus, please forgive me for being so annoying and for hurting people and for saying all these bad things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you lay down your sleep, you go to sleep. The next day you do it again. And you're saying, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for annoying people and for hurting people and for cutting that guy off. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Amen. Folks, We've gotten so good at confessing and we missed what else God has for us. There is more to God's grace than mere confession. There is something called repentance. The Bible teaches repentance. It teaches what the, what's called a turning away from the sin. In other words, not just mere judicial forgiveness, uh, uh, a declaration of um, being innocent, but there is actually a change that God wants to do. Now you may be thinking to yourself, now, I'm beyond this sermon, it doesn't apply to me. Folks, I want to show you by the very end, this sermon is applicable to every single person here. Every single person here. Now take your Bible, we're going to understand a little bit about repentance, repentance. Take your Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 5 verse 29. This is Peter again, and much different Peter. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. This is Peter speaking before the Sanhedrin. And watch what he says. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give... What's that next word? Who gives repentance? God. And he gives it. He gives repentance to Israel and forgiveness of what? Sins. There's more to God's grace than mere confession and forgiveness. There is something the Bible calls repentance, which is a turning away. The reason why our confession is not genuine anymore is because our repentance is not genuine. In fact, confession is... Genuine confession, not just the behavior, but the actual right thinking and right motives and feelings is the result of genuine repentance. Do you hear what I just said? Genuine confession is the result of genuine repentance. When you go to God... Instead of just going to him and just saying, okay, God, please forgive me for all my sins, you need to be coming to him with your need. And I love what Ellen White says. She says our only argument is our great need. You say you come to God, and you say, God, it says in your word, John chapter 6, verse 37, he who comes to me, the no wise, he will cast away. You come to God just as you are, just as you are. And folks, you don't stay away from Jesus because you are a sinner. You go to Jesus because you are a sinner, amen? You come to Jesus just as you are, and you say, God, give me repentance, a turning away from my sin. Give me the grace that comes with this. Now, let's understand a little bit more about repentance. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians, and we'll help, it'll help br- unpack what repentance actually is. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7. Let's start with verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. 1,115. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance or that change. For you were made sorry in a what? Godly manner in that you might suffer loss in nothing. Watch verse 10. For godly sorrow produces what? Repentance leading to what? Salvation. Repentance is the turning away from sin. And what gives that is a godly sorrow. Folks, you know why our confession is so empty? Because our feelings and emotions don't go with our confession. We'll say sorry to God, even though we don't mean it. See, what God is offering is not just right behavior, but right motives and right intentions. So when you go to God with your emptiness, with your need, and you say, God, give me repentance, he will give you a godly sorrow for your sin where you actually will lament not just the consequences of sin but the sin itself. He will show you what it has done to the Savior and how it has broken his heart. And then when your confession follows that, you're not just speaking mere words, but your heart is in it. Lord, I have sinned against you. Folks, you know why Esau failed? You want to know why Saul failed and Judas failed? Because all of these men, even though they came to God with confession, it was empty and it was lacking godly repentance. It was lacking godly repentance. And God is willing to give repentance just as much as he is willing to give forgiveness. It is a gift of God. Amen? In fact, watch what Ellen White says right here. It's beautiful. She says this, repentance is no less the gift of God than, our, than pardon and justification, and it cannot be experienced except as it is given to the soul by Christ. Jesus is willing to give you repentance. If you say, Lord, I don't feel, I don't feel like I, 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 I really wronged you. Lord, give me a repentance for my sin. Now, because you don't feel repentance doesn't mean you shouldn't come to Him. You should come to Him always just as you are. But folks, understand something. Repentance is the key from turning away from the sin, not just receiving the forgiveness. God will put a godly sorrow in your heart and you'll realize, Lord, what have I done? I, I, I'm sorry, Lord, I have sinned against you. That is repentance and that is what God is willing to give. You may fall and you may make many mistakes, But you go to God with your need. Then the second thing, you go to him and you say, Lord, I need a godly repentance. And you confess what you have done before God. And he will break your heart. He'll break it upon that rock. And like Peter, when Jesus looks directly at you, you will weep bitterly for your sin. But from that brokenness will come the fruits of repentance. Can you say amen to that? There will be a change in your life. There will be a a significant, real change in your life. Victory after victory will begin to happen when you begin to pray for repentance every single day. Did you know that repentance is not just for people who just come to God initially, initially? You know the people of God are supposed to be praying for repentance every day from their sins? Every single day. Now let me ask you a good question. When's the last time you prayed for godly repentance? You see how far we are removed from this teaching? When godly repentance comes, you'll see it. You'll know it. And you will realize, God, I have bruised your heart. I have broken the holy law of God. I have brought reproach upon you. Forgive me of this transgression. And as you confess, a change is wrought in your life. Folks, do you guys know at the second coming, at the resurrection... The only thing you're getting that's brand new is a body. You know that, right? That means it's up to God now to change your mind. You don't get a brand new mind. You get a brand new body. Sure, there'll be a higher nature that come with that body, but you will have the same identity and the same mind. Now is the time for change. And we need to understand that God is willing to give it. He's willing to pour upon his repentance to anyone who will ask for it. He says, I will give you my repentance. Not just forgiveness, but I will give you my repentance. It is a gift from God. He's willing to give it to every single person who asks for it. And he will not hold back. The Bible says in him, we receive all spiritual blessings. It's time we begin to access all that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Folks, What did I mean when I said this is important for every single person? Ellen White says this, Christ Object Lessons, page 160.3. At every advanced step in Christian experience, our repentance will deepen. At every advanced step our Christian experience in regards to repentance will deepen. Day after day, we will turn away from sin. And in communion with God, through an appreciation of the character of God, sin will become hateful to us. So the things that you crave and you keep falling into, all of a sudden, as you begin to be broken on that rock, you begin to say, you know what, God? I don't want to hurt you again. And you begin to turn away from that sin. You begin to turn away. One, one preacher said, look, there are millions of, of decisions being made for Christ all over the world, but very little conversions, very little conversions. But God is willing to pour out his spirit to anyone who will ask for it. He says, I will give you godly repentance for your sins. You're struggling with something. You keep confessing it to God. God says, that's good, but now start asking for godly repentance. I will give that to you. I will give it to you as a gift just as much as I give you confession and forgiveness. I will give that to you and you will begin to turn away from your sin, and you will begin to say, I don't want to do this sin anymore, and there will be a change. A change begins to take place. Somebody once said, I don't think it's possible for man to change. You can change, but God can change you. Amen? Amen? And repentance is a gift. That's the cool thing. It's a gift. You can ask Jesus for repentance. You can ask him for godly sorrow when it regards to your sin. You can ask him and he will give it to you. He will give it to you. Amen? He will give it to you at every advanced step. In our Christian experience, repentance will deepen. Day after day after day after day, we will become more and more like Christ. Like Jesus prayed, that your faith will not fail. And more and more, though, though outwardly it seems that everything's falling apart, The inward man will be renewed day by day by day. Though it seems like your car is is falling apart, day by day the inward man will be renewed. Though people around you seem to be just leaving you back and forth, they're just gone. Day by day the inward man will be renewed and that repentance will deepen and deepen and deepen. Though it seems like the whole world is falling apart around you, day after day you're being changed. ...and transformed by that godly repentance. Amen? Amen. By that godly repentance. Now take your Bible, let's go to Luke 15. Jesus gives three parables. And I used to think these three parables just applied to people who got baptized. The first parable. Look at Luke 15. Verse 4. It's a parable... Of the lost sheep. But look what the Bible says when that sheep is found. Verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who... What's that next word? Repents. Than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Look at the next parable. It's the parable of the woman who loses her coin. And when she finds it, look what the Bible says in verse 10. Likewise I say to you there will be joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And you know the next parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Notice the the progression. Heaven is rejoicing. Then the angels are rejoicing. Then most of all, the Father is rejoicing. Why? Because his people are repenting. Folks, did you know that angels don't just cheer when someone gets baptized? They cheer when repentance comes in your life as those people are cheering that runner as he's racing the angels are cheering they're cheering for the people of God to keep moving forward and to keep overcoming there was uninterrupted victory in Peter's life after this time he made mistakes he still stumbled but there was uninterrupted victories unlike anything before but it was when genuine repentance came into his heart folks, it's a gift of God it's the gift of God. How many people at the raising of their hands and say, Lord, I want godly repentance over my sins? I want you to break my heart. Amen. Let's pray right now. And let's ask Jesus for this godly repentance over our sins. We want victory. Amen. We want victory. Father, we need more than just behavior and modification. More than just more laws, God. We need more than just counseling and the right diet, God. Those things are all important. But Jesus, we need godly repentance. God, you promised that you would give it to us as a gift, a turning away from our sin, not just forgiveness, but God, an overcoming. And Lord, we want to start praying for repentance, godly repentance, every single day. Lord, if we have wronged you, forgive us, God, and give us a brokenness over what we have done against you, God Almighty. You are our King. And we just pray that as we continue to walk in our Christian walk, that day by day you would continue the work of changing us and transforming us into citizens of heaven. Father, we want to be there. We want them to stand in that way. Thank you, God, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,